Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Eternia is finally at peace. Evil has been vanquished. And He-Man has reverted back to his alter ego, Prince Adam, in order to properly enjoy the celebratory feast planned for later that night. But before Adam has time to dig into the oversized turkey leg in front of him, an otherworldly gate opens up outside of Castle Grayskull and out steps the ashen figure of the Spartan demigod Kratos, as enraged as ever. Kratos takes in a deep breath and bellows out, Bring me your greatest champion so that I may smite him before you. Adam takes a breath of his own, grabs his power sword, and with an I have the power, steps outside the castle walls to face down this new opponent. It's the most powerful man in the universe versus the god of war. It's Grayskull's champion versus the ghost of Sparta. It's He-Man versus Kratos, today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic book, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Ray Stacanus. Ray, oh my gosh, we have a Super Bowl type of matchup today. We actually have a redemption match, if you will. In one corner, you have Kratos, the god of war, the icon of gaming, who is coming back, trying to get that first ever win and who would win, versus my personal favorite of, from the 1980s. I got to tell you, I love this guy. It's He-Man from Masters of the Universe. This is a fight that I am so hyped for. It's absolutely unbelievable. Now, of course, I did the patented who would win Google test. Of course, we're using Google. You'll, you may have heard about that from the internet and i did a quick search just to see how many people have talked about this yeah this is a match many many i'm saying many people have talked about but of course it's never gotten the who would win treatment until today ray give us your thoughts in today's matchup i've been wanting to use kratos again i've literally suggested him at every single meeting for the last two every years meeting. since i can vouch for that since he was defeated on this show earlier in a very in my mind very sketchy very upsetting decision. Meanwhile, <laughs> He-Man won his previous matchup on this show. And again, a very sketchy decision. And I'd like to say He-Man being 1-0, Kratos being 0-1, we have a chance to flip the script today and set back right what once went wrong like we were Scott Bakula on Quantum Leap. Another great 80s reference, by the way. So, Ray, you know, speaking of He-Man, you know, there's a recent new series that came out, Masters of the Universe, Revelations oh, yeah. on Netflix. You and I have talked about this. Oddly enough, this is one of those few things that we agree on. We love the series, but not everyone feels the same way we do. And this is a thing that happens in geek culture way too often. That toxic fandom that comes out and starts just hacking away at a show, saying, oh, it's not what I remember from my childhood. The characters are different. I don't think this is right. And it just doesn't work at all 
for what we're trying to enjoy or for new animated series coming out. I can only imagine what the producers are thinking when they read these comments. Ray, what are your thoughts on handling toxic fandom? Look, first off, I think it's absolutely outrageous that people are not getting behind this Masters of the Universe show. And a lot of people are. Let's just be very, very clear about that. This is one of Netflix's top shows right now, and it's doing very, very well with a small percentage of very vocal fandom that, quite frankly... Uh, they need to probably just watch the show. Maybe that would help. I don't know. But this Masters of the Universe show is different because we've already seen what they've done before. If that's what you like, those shows still exist. Nobody took those shows away from you. (laughs) You can still go watch all of them over and over and over again and have your childhood back. What I love about the new Masters of the Universe show is the fact that they took some very interesting chances with it. Don't want to spoil anything, but they decided to focus it on other characters while keeping everybody else still around everybody's still there at every single episode either in flashback form or in different forms so everybody's there everybody is showing the height of their power the whole time but what they've done is they've shown us maybe one of the most interesting post-apocalyptic style of fantasy worlds that we've seen since thundar the barbarian or fist of the north star the great anime which has this sort of rundown not very many people left magical world Mm. They go halfway to Fist of the North Star, they adult up the room and make everything a little bit smarter, and I couldn't be more overjoyed. This is a treatment of this property that respects it. So you're saying you like the series? Huge fan. Five episodes, can't wait to see the second half when they release it. You know, it's funny, I was watching this and I said, this really has the feel of The Mandalorian, where The Mandalorian takes certain aspects of the lore of Star Wars Mm -hmm. that we all wish we could have explored a little bit more and gave us that. This series is the same thing. Yep. On top of that, you know, when Voltron, the uh, legendary defender, came out on Netflix, they didn't actually form Voltron for like many episodes for the first season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're halfway through season one. There's more stuff coming. You got to trust Kevin Smith, who I think is fantastic. By the way, you know, Ray and I have both been on the producing side as well. Ray, I think you'd agree with this. If you don't like something, complaining about it online, all that does is show the producers and the team, wow, there's people talking about this. That's a great sign. If you really don't like something, don't say a word. Give it nothing. And by the way, that also helps us, the people who do want to see good things (laughs) about it. It's a win-win. Just putting that out there. Everybody wins. And look, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, obviously. That doesn't mean your opinion's good or worth anything. I'll be the first to tell you that. So if if you don't like (laughs) something... You don't always have to share every thought that enters your brain on the social medias. Go watch the old show, and we can all be happy and enjoy some He-Man. Couldn't agree more. He-Man's a great thing. Masters Universe or you know, Revelation's also a great thing. Lots of great stuff happening on Netflix. Just love it all. Now, speaking of great things, it's time to introduce our guest judge. Making their first appearance on the Who Would Win show, it's the voice of Horizon Apex Legends. It's Darth Savick in Star Wars The Old Republic. Tedra Grand in Halo 4. Valeria Jenner in Counter-Strike Global Offensive. This is insane. It's L Newlands. L, welcome to Who Would Win. Good evening. <laughs> How are we? <laughs> Listen, I like how understated that is. L, you know, you've worked on so much stuff. I checked out your IMDb. You're one of these people who've done so many great series, games, and what have you, that it's actually easier to say stuff that you've not been on. I don't think you were in Caddyshack. I don't think you appeared on any of, like, Monty Python stuff. And that's about it. I think you're in everything else. You know, with everything you've done, what have been some of the favorite uh, games or series you've worked on? To be honest with you, I... Oh, wow, that's a great question. So I, I did um, a really, really cute... In Skylanders, I was a Frost Elf. 
Her name was Avril and she was, I mean, being Scottish, I clearly play a lot of Scottish characters, but Avril the Frost Elf was really, really cute and um, she she looked really cute and she sounded really cute and that was like one of the first bigger games that I did. Um, and what else? I've, I've done some really fun stuff. Like I I also did uh, Star Wars Lego. Like I played a Lieutenant Wright the character's name was in, in a Star Wars Lego, which was the Force Awakens game that came out for Lego. But honestly, I think Horizon. I think Horizon is probably my favorite. That's a big title. I can, I can see why. I can see why. Look, we, um, we're just bearing it all. This is Summer of Apex Legends, and we, we have guest judge number five here, the voice of Horizon. Look, that trailer, the introduction trailer of Horizon, the one called Promise, where we learn the story of how she left her, her, her kid behind, went off into space on this mission, intended to come back, and then didn't due to betrayal for, what, 87 years or something? It's absolutely heartbreaking. Look, I didn't cry. You cried. <laughs> there was a lot of onions being cut, I shall say. <laughs> I couldn't believe it was raining in my living room while I was watching it. Very surprising. I cried. So when I so I started recording for Horizon during the pandemic and they sent me the script and I literally cried at that script when they sent wow. it to me because I and then I thought, wow, I just won the lottery because the writing, as you know, on Apex Light, everything that Respawn is doing right now is like stellar if I may say that it really is it's like top 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 notch writing animation sound everything that they're putting out right now the lore is incredible so yeah I feel like I won the lottery of jobs hot legend summer (laughs) that's it You know, I, I've got to ask this too. You know, we, we've talked with other really amazing voice actors as well. If you could pick your perfect role, the perfect role, what you would, your, your, your bucket list item, what is that role for you? Oh, well, I, I mean, I know I'm going to say I, I'm already doing it. I mean, Horizon, like when I seriously, when I got the audition, I was like, if there was ever a role that I feel suited me the most out of anything I've ever done, it was that character. Because, you know, she's sassy, she's quirky, she gets to... I'm very lucky because she gets a lot of drama. You know, it's like she has these very emotional... She has a lot of emotional depth when she's written. Um, she's funny, she's smart. I, I, I really... That's the character that I... If anyone had... I mean, that's seriously. I'm not just saying that. But I really feel like this was a gift in my life and I've said this before if this is as good as it gets in my career I'm happy and I'm that I really mean that look space mom is a defining character I think we can all agree yeah space mom for the win so yeah but yeah she she's probably like that's I don't know it's like that's the pinnacle for me right now I mean like you said I've I've been around a while and I've played a lot I've done a lot of triple E titles and I've been in animation and I've done a lot of stuff but this is the first thing that I got that I was like, this took me home. You know, it was like when I was recording her, Sam Gill is, is her writer, uh, the in-game writer, and Amanda Doran is the uh, is the the trailer was her trailer writer. 
Um, and now Ashley Reed writes as well. But at the beginning, when it was just Sam and I, you know, he would let me, I was like, why, wow, you know, there's this Scottish saying and they let me come up with a lot of stuff. And so now Sam calls it the holy tome. Um, and so I, what I do is like, if I think of something, I'll record it and I'll send it to them. And I guess like, I don't know how much of it they can actually use, but I think they have a good laugh because I send them a lot of very bizarre Scottish sayings that they're like, what? <laughs> well, will we be able to hear some of those possibly in today's matchup? I'll think of some stuff. <laughs> okay. This is great because you're a very deep thinker. Clearly, clearly. And I've gone very deep with the character of He-Man today. Kratos is something, someone that, that Ray knows inside out. So this is going to be great. What we're going to be bringing this, bringing this encyclopedia of knowledge to someone who can peel away the onion, so to say, so to speak. And hopefully one of the three of us will be crying at the end of this. It'll be Ray, by the way. It'll be Ray crying mm, at the end. Of interesting. This is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm just putting that out there. All right. So this is fantastic. We have an insanely amazing judge. We've got Ray. You got me. We've got Kratos versus He-Man. It's about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Mattel, the hero who has the power, and that power is always knowing what's going on. He-Man. And representing Sony, the warrior who proves that even if you're a demigod, raising a preteen boy is tough. Kratos. I can vouch for that. All right. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Okay, Ray, I know this Kratos from the games. There's probably a comic book as well. What definitive version of Kratos are you using? We're not messing around today, James. We're going with the God of War video game franchise version of Kratos. There's a whole lot of meat in there, and I aim to take it off the bone and chew it down. Okay. With that being said, there's been so many different series, comic book versions, even some, I believe, some really cool games as well, He-Man. But you know what? I got to stay true to the original. I'm going to be debating He-Man from the 80s, the iconic 80s series, and any type of comic book or what have you that stays within Mm -hmm. that continuity. I'm going to do a great job of that. There you go. I said it. That's what's going to happen. All right. Rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed race to Canis, but will be given less weight. Rule number five, the winner of the debate is whenever the judge decides it's the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Hoodwin store. Get your official Hoodwin t-shirts, your merchandise, your mugs, whatever you want by going to whowouldwinshow.com and clicking on the merch section. Remember, keep going to that website to check it out because we have new merch being posted all the time. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. 
Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. And now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details on Kratos. Kratos is a Spartan demigod and son of Zeus. He was created by David Jaffe and Charlie Wen and first appeared in the video game God of War back in 2005. Kratos has taken it upon himself to kill and destroy the entire pantheon of Greek gods to make them pay for their monumental amount of betrayal to himself. Kratos was originally a Spartan warrior who, when faced with his own death and eradication of his legion at the hands of barbarians, pledged his eternal being to the god of war Ares if he could win that day. Willing to oblige, Ares entered the battle and vaporized all the barbarians. Following massive amounts of further betrayals from Ares, such as tricking Kratos into killing his own wife and child, Kratos killed Ares and took the mantle of God of War unto himself, eventually completing his goal of destruction of all the Greek gods, including his father Zeus himself. Fun fact, Kratos might seem like a solemn and serious character, but it may surprise many to find that Kratos made an appearance on The Simpsons. Yes, in the episode entitled The Food Wife, Bart attends a video game convention named E4, where he plays a supposedly impossible game titled Guts of War 2, Entrails of Intellinox, which features a main character who very clearly resembles and is meant to be Kratos. Of course, Bart easily beats the game quickly and leaves the developer speechless before walking away, but again, of course he did. He was playing as Kratos. And that is Kratos. Wait, wait, wait. So I'm prepared, hopefully, to to debate against Kratos from the, you know, video games. Are you saying I also have to defend against this version of Kratos from The Simpsons? Thankfully, you do not, because he's only on screen for about three seconds. Thank God. All right, cool. All right, now here are the details for He-Man. He-Man was created by Michael Halpern and debuted in the iconic, and I'm talking iconic, animated series He-Man and the Masters of the Universe way back in 1983. He-Man is the alter ego of Prince Adam, the young son of the planet Turnus rulers, King Grandor and Queen Marlena. Whenever Prince Adam holds the Sword of Power aloft and says, by the power of Grayskull, he is given fabulous secret powers and transformed into He-Man, quote unquote, the most powerful man in the universe. Did you hear that, Ray? He is the most powerful man in the universe. I'm You're starting already right now. I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm starting. Together with his close allies, ba- allies Battle Cat, who undergoes a similar transformation being Prince Adam's cowardly pet, Tiger Cringer, the sorceress, Tila, Man-at-Arms, and the floating wizard kind of elf thing, not really sure what he is, Orko, He-Man uses his powers to defend Eternia from the evil forces of Skeletor, whose main goal is to conquer the mysterious fortress of Castle Skull, uh, Grayskull as well. Now, here's an interesting fact about He-Man. Do you know that Star Wars 
was directly responsible for the creation of He-Man? It's true, kind of. See, He-Man was a result of Mattel, the toy company, passing on making toys for Star Wars. A genius move, if I may say so myself. So when George Lucas and crew went shopping for licensing partners, again, Mattel was one of the several companies that passed on the rights to make the action figures. I don't know if you remember this, but the industry as a whole watched as Kenner turned Star Wars into a toy supernova, leaving Mattel to pick up the plastic pieces and eager to develop their own hit. Learning from their massive mistake, and I mean massive, Mattel decided to create their own franchise in order to sell toys and merchandise. Confident in their He-Man lineup, Mattel marketing director Mark Ellis showed their concept to buyers at Toys R Us. But the Toys R Us executives were not impressed, arguing that young children would need something more in order to want to buy He-Man-related toys. And they were right. Thinking on the spot, Ellis said, don't worry about it. We've got a one-hour cartoon special in the works. Which he, of course, did not. It was all BS. Luckily, he teamed up with Filmation, delivered this, developed the series, and sold it into syndication, and the rest is history. So whenever you take a second, and just think of how amazing Star Wars really is, and it is absolutely amazing. It's actually even more awesome because it led to the creation of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Hmm. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Elle, do you have any questions before we get started? Um, I actually do. The first question is, um, so Kratos was a son of Zeus, mm-hmm. but I... I missed what you said. He's avenging his father's death. Is that what you said? No, he's he's trying to kill his father, which he eventually, through the video games, does. Because it turns out the Greek gods are a bunch of jerks who are constantly betraying people right and left and right and left. And he just got sick of it and said, y'all gotta go. So that's patricide? Is that what that's called? So we. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, so that's a strike Although one. If it's a god, is that deicide? I don't know at this point. Strike one. A little bit of A, a little bit of B. Strike one. Um, and then uh, just a comment in general. So you just threw a lot of Star Wars in there to try and curry favor. That's kind of oh. what you did. Yeah. I mean, I saw that. Listen, who doesn't love great Star Wars mm-hmm. action and uh, you know, the, the characters that are brought to life by the national, if not international treasures known as uh, actors? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm following. I'm following. Picking up what you're putting down here. All right. Making my notes. <laughs> All right, we're off to a great start. Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Kratos. First off, he has the power of a demigod. Look, He-Man might be the most powerful man in the universe. However, he is, at the end of the day, just a man. Kratos is the son of a god, and not just any god, Zeus, the god of the Greek pantheon world. What does this mean? Well, it means he's got an extremely high level of power himself. One might say rivaling He-Man. One might even say greater than He-Man. What he has, though, is weapons attached to himself. When he joined up with Ares after he pledged his eternal being, he was given what's called the Blades of Chaos. Now, the Blades of Chaos are two blades that are attached to chains and they are kind of like welded into his arms. So he ha- he uses them often for traversal purposes. He'll throw them around, he'll embed them in rocks and he'll pull the rocks down on people or he'll spin them around, he'll embed them in people and then fly at them at high speeds or pull them over to him. He likes to do that with a lot of big monsters that he faces and this is a guy who faces big monsters roughly every 15 minutes or so of his life. He's always battling a new gigantic sky skyscraper-sized monster and winning. But not just that. 
Those blades of chaos are often on fire. They imbue fire principles, fire properties to anything they hit. So when, not if, when he hits He-Man with these blades of chaos, he's going to set He-Man on fire. Those beautiful golden locks will be set ablaze, and that is no way to be fighting a person as strong and powerful as Kratos. Look, he one time punched a chain. There was a chain in front of him, except for the fact that that chain was so large that one of those individual links was larger than the size of Kratos himself, who is not a small man. He is between six and seven feet tall, depending on who's telling the story. He punched it and was able to shoot that link of chain and the chain attached to it all the way down, impaling it into a rock many hundreds of feet away because, look, He-Man is strong. James is going to tell you how strong He-Man is in a little bit. I would argue Kratos is equally as strong. Heck, I once saw him overpower a Hydra, which is a big old dragon-type monster. How did he do that? He hooked the chains in with the Blades of Chaos. He pulled real, real hard, and he was able to impale the face of the Hydra with the mast of a ship that Kratos just happened to be sitting on. A boat! He just pulled the boat! How strong do you have to be to impale a gargantuan creature with the boat that you're on? Crazy. But he's also very, very durable. He one time got his throat slashed, and the throat was like, there was blood everywhere. Ah, ah, and it was all painful, except for the fact that about three seconds later, it was as if nothing had happened to him at all. Why? Because he has a healing factor, very similar to a Wolverine or a Deadpool kind of a character. All he has to do is force a little bit of willpower into healing, ah, and he heals on the spot, tears and rips at his flesh. They all just get healed up, and he keeps on fighting. A few other of my favorite things that Kratos has done. On top of the durability of the healing factor, he very, very often through the point of battle is knocked through buildings, knocked through mountains, sometimes two, three mountains at a time, ending up on the other side of the mountains, gets up, dusts himself off as best he can, and gets right back into the battle again. There is very little that puts this character down. So He-Man is a power, is a power player and a Power against power, it's just probably not going to be the right approach. You got to be more devious when dealing with Kratos. You really got to try to trick him into doing something. And He-Man is much more of a straight-ahead kind of a, a warrior, if you will. The last couple things to talk about. One time he fought a teleporting manipulator of time. A guy who could actually mess with the time stream, teleport around, and hit you. And he was so, he's such a great fighter, and he's such a great warrior, that he was able to parry every single shot, even though he didn't see any of it coming. Even though the guy was messing with the time stream, even though he was constantly teleporting behind him, he just was able to stick the sword behind his back and block it every single time, because he's just that skilled a warrior. Last thing to mention... Durability-wise, hey, he did one of my favorite things anybody in gaming can do. He fell from space, and he hit the Earth, and he was able to get up from orbit, get up, and be completely fine. That's a big durability feat, and that's my point number one. All right, look, there's no way you can get around this. Kratos is awesome. Mm-hmm. And there he, he's strong, you know, demigod, an amazing fighter, possibly one of the best fighters in all of gaming. I would kind of put that out there as well. Definitely. Just wish he had enough to overcome He-Man. A couple of questions. A couple of questions for you. This is super important. You said he uses willpower to help with his healing factor, Mm -hmm. right? That kind of powers it up. But you made a sound. Can you make that sound of willpower one more time, please? I'm going to force you to rewind the tape, James. I don't know how many times we've been over this. You don't get a second one for free. I I just thought it was interesting. So when I use willpower, like if there's cookies right there, I just like, yeah, I shouldn't touch it. But you actually made a cool sound. Do you know how hard it is, James, for me to avoid cookies? I have to make that sound. (laughs) That's fair. That's a good sound. 
He has the Blades of Chaos. That's awesome. Let's say you said that he will try to set He-Man's hair ablaze. First of all, that won't happen. Secondly, you're a monster for coming up with that. That is just horrible. And the real question I have is, what is the biggest strength feat that Kratos has done? I'll be getting to that in my later points, but I'll just say they're pretty gosh darn big. Got it. They're gosh darn big. I love it. I think I actually know what that means. All right. Let me get to my point number one for He-Man. You know, there's a reason why He-Man is called a master of the universe. By the way, I actually don't know why they're called master of the universe because they stay on Eternia. Maybe they go to different dimensions, but I, I don't understand why it's masters of the universe. But whatever. It's all good. Now, first of all, in terms of power, He-Man's invulnerable. And the way he's invulnerable, they Mattel tried to create a character that was their version of a Superman. Now, of course, he's not flying, but he's got the durability. He's got the strength. He's got the power. And when it comes to durability, what separates him from Superman, as durable as Superman is, is that He-Man also has a very high durability and tolerance against magic-based attacks or supernatural-fueled weapons. So that is something that he'll be able to fight. I'm not saying he can't get hurt. But he's very, very durable. Unlike Superman, who's very vulnerable to magic, He-Man's a lot more durable when it comes to magic-based attacks as well as regular physical attacks. He's got super speed. This is kind of ridiculous. Again, I love the 80s for this. So, of course, there's a tornado, you know, in one of the one of the episodes that was hurting this town. And in what did he do? He decided to use science, because that's totally what would happen, to run in the opposite direction of the tornado a little bit faster to uncreate the tornado. Of course, that worked. But that's not even his most impressive feat. In one episode, he takes a stalactite that's in the form of a cone, perfect cone, points it downwards, starts to spin at super speed, and digs at super speed all the way to the middle of Eternia, which is, I guess, roughly the size of Earth. And I did the math. He did that in like three seconds. That means he was digging, not running, not sprinting, not traveling. He was digging at 80,000 miles per hour. That is Mach 108. I'd say that's pretty fast. Uh, He's got super breath. He's able to make hurricane-like winds by blowing really hard out of his mouth, just like Superman can. He's got super agility with the ability to jump super far, super long, super high. And he can also move with with really crazy agility for someone who's that big and strong. Let's circle back to his super strength for a little bit, though. Just how strong is he? This is really cool. In the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe episode called She-Demon of Phantos, just an award-winning episode right there, he was shown to be the only person who could break the strongest metal in the Masters of the Universe universe, the substance called Photanium. He was actually encased in it, and Man-at-Arms, his good friend, almost like an uncle to him, was like, yeah, he's not getting out of this. And He-Man's like, ha, 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 you'll see, Duncan, I'm trying to do He-Man, and just breaks out of Photanium, something that was claimed had never been done before by anyone ever. In another episode, Castle Grayskull is transported to another planet, another dimension. He-Man uses his sword, goes to the other dimension, and what's he do? He picks up Castle Grayskull, which is, I have no idea how many thousands, one thousands of tons, and throws it back to Eternia's dimension, where it then lands perfectly in the same spot. That's some muscle control. I'll just leave that there. That's not even the craziest feat of strength. In an episode called Eternal Darkness, He-Man goes into orbit and pushes the moon out of orbit, out of around the orbit of, of Eternia. And then, you know, something happens back in Eternia, he goes back up, and he shoves it back into orbit. That is insane. And there's even a better example of this. I mentioned this in our previous episode, Ray. He had to knock this other moon came into orbit, was wreaking havoc on Eternia. He picks up a boulder the size of a car, looks at that moon, and does like, like it's an eight ball or something, playing pool, launches the boulder into the moon from planet Eternia and knocks that not just out of orbit, but back into space. Look, 
He-Man speeds may seem ridiculous, you know, to the untrained eye, of course. However, they demonstrate one thing. He-Man's biggest power is 1980s animation, and that's my point number one. I am surprised you're going to some of these feats so early because these are things that I probably would have waited a little bit longer to bring up. But first off, a lot of these feats you bring up, these strength feats are incredible. I might point out none of them seem to happen in combat. These are all non-combat feats, but we're actually talking about a fight. We haven't actually seen him grab Skeletor and throw him into a meteor. We haven't seen him do that to other people, which means that he's very, very likely that he's holding back his strength when he's in combat a lot of the time, which is the thing that Kratos has never done in his entire life. Also, I would also point out the gray skull example is a great one. He picked up this giant rock with a castle on it, threw it, I think, like through a portal and it landed there. However, and I watched that because I knew it was going to come up. I just watched it this morning. The sorceress actually gives him a power up of strength before he does it. He actually does get a magical power up, which he is not going to have access to because no outside interference, remember? So that feat should be taken off the table because, again, somebody else was helping him in order to do it. And then the moon. The moon is perhaps the most ridiculous of all of the things that you said. I have a lot to, I'm actually out of time on this counter. I'm just going to talk about the moon in a later counter because there's a lot I have to say about it, but I'm out of time right now. That's fair. Okay, look, we've got two ridiculously powered characters here. One more ridiculously powered than the other, of course. So, L, you've heard point number one from Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far in this battle? Mm, I'm leaning with Ray that there's a lot. I mean, I think He-Man is the bomb. And he definitely, I love him because he is very, it's more like he's, it sounds like he has a lot of ethereal power, but I think Ray, to Ray's point, like he, he has, you're not, you haven't yet argued that, you know, this one-on-one combat, that doesn't really seem to be his zone. Hmm, interesting. And I, I don't know if I'm picking that up wrong, but you know, I've got four pages of notes so far. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, but but I will say that right now we have pretty gosh darn big versus the moon is ridiculous. That's that's where. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like so a scientific far. formula if I've ever heard one. That's <laughs> yeah. that's pretty dead on correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, pretty gosh darn big versus 1980s animation. There you go. And the moon is oh. ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Perfect. You know, Ray, we, we, we kind of have this chess match going back and forth. I'm sure not going to pretend that I understand your strategy, your tactics. You have yours. I've got mine. So I'm really interested to see what direction you're going to go in with your point number two. Point number two for Kratos. Let's talk about some of his moves. Let's talk about some of his items. Let's talk about a little bit more of what he brings to the table. First off, and one thing that I was surprised, even though I played some of the God of War games, I didn't remember him to be a magic-based character. Now, I know He-Man does have certain defenses against magic. That being said, he's not hitting with, like, energy blasts. He's hitting with fire. He has ice powers, lightning powers, and he even has the ability to attack someone's soul. And yes, he is doing that magically, but the fact is that he can attack somebody, not just physically, but he can attack their inside soul as well. I haven't quite seen He-Man have something to do with that or have a defense for that type of attack. Some of the powder powers he can do, he's got one that he's used a few times called the Army of Hades. And that means that Kratos can be a summoning power, which is allowed a summoning power that summons the very souls of the underworld to attack nearby foes like He-Man. In one case, he was able to bring back from the dead an entire Spartan army that was under his command in order to attack the enemies around him. 
he might go forward, he might not. If he needs a breather, don't think he will. But if he needs to sick other weaker souls on He-Man to get him into a position that he needs to, he has this at his disposal. Another thing he has is the Blade of Olympus. Now, he's had a lot of secondary or larger weapons besides his normal Blades of Chaos. It's worth mentioning the Blade of Olympus is something he's used on a couple of different occasions. It was forged by Zeus, and it is actually a weapon so powerful that it's been said that it can kill gods. And let me tell you something. If it's powerful enough to kill gods, it's powerful enough to kill men as well, even if they are the most powerful man in the universe. How about the idea that he can have the amulet of Ouroboros? That is an amulet that changes time around him. It creates a little uh, buffer, a little uh, cone, a little... It creates a little sphere around him, which allows him to slow down time for other people while himself moving at regular speed. So He-Man, you said he's very, very fast. Yes, I think in some cases he's been very, very fast in non-combat situations. I've seen him fight, though. He don't move that fast in combat. So if Kratos is moving full speed, which is also fast in combat, and He-Man is moving very, very slowly because time has been slowed down for him, Kratos is going to be able to not just set He-Man's hair on fire, he's going to be able to do a lot more terrible things to He-Man before the battle's done as well. He could also use this to speed up or or slow down time, which means that he could heal somebody like himself through the... uh, through the speeding up time and speeding up his own healing process, or he could speed up time for He-Man, thus decaying his body, making him age very, very rapidly. This is tough stuff. He's also fired energy blast before. Again, I'm not going to lean on it too heavily, except for the fact that it's blown through godly-powered brass armor that the gods themselves have worn. He-Man don't wear a ton of armor. He's just got that little thing wrapped around his body as tight as physically possible. Doesn't provide him necessarily the best protection. Heck, he could also create energy barriers using the same ability if he needs it defensively. And one really big thing I have to bring up here is the eyes of truth. The eyes of truth are formerly the actual physical eyes of the Oracle Aletheia. And what this is, is a magic breaker. He can dispel illusions. He can dispel magic. He can dispel barriers and he can dispel things that are created magically. I have a strong feeling that might come into play a little bit later on but we'll see. And that's my point number two. Okay, again, awesome stuff from Kratos. So I've got some questions. Number one, yet again, you're bringing up He-Man's hair being set on fire. What are you really trying to communicate here? What are you hiding? What I'm trying to say is I feel like my hair is on fire in this matchup because I want it so badly. Is that what happened? Okay, got it. And let's see. You said he's got a soul attack. There's an interesting thing I got to ask here because I was researching the character, loving the character as well. Has Kratos ever been killed? Kratos has been killed three times during the series in actuality. Now, he was at lower power, power levels for, I believe, at least two of those three times from the Kratos that I'm really arguing, the one who sort of made his journey and come to the height of his powers, because that's those are, the, those are the versions we really want to be talking about, not, you know, going to high school Kratos. That's not quite the same thing, is it? So when he died earlier, he died, I mean, once Zeus tricked him. Like I said, it's got to involve trickery, usually, in that Zeus tricked him into putting all of his power into that big god-killing blade of Olympus, And then Zeus picked up the sword, uh, even though he thought he was, you're my son, you're my friend, we're on the same side. He picked up the Blade of Olympus after it had been powered up with Kratos, thus powering down Kratos, and he stabbed him and killed him with it. Granted, in the world of the Greek gods, death really means nothing, and you can get out of Hades, the underworld, at the drop of a hat. Right, he's fought his way through Hades before, right? It took him a while. Multiple times. Right, multiple times to kind of resurrect himself. Okay, again, just this just speaks to the magnificence of Kratos. It's hard for me to say... 
oh, he's not good here or he's limited here. All I can say is right now is that Kratos seems to be great across the board, but there are some areas that he's greater at than others. Would that be a correct statement? Fair. Okay, That's got very it. fair. Okay, luckily those are the areas, all joking aside, where He-Man's going to be able to take advantage of this. So let me get to my point number two. Let's talk about He-Man's equipment. Not a lot of people talk about this, and I'm not going to be just talking about his sword, although I'll bring that up for sure. He's got some really cool stuff. Now, you talked about what was called his battle harness, Ray, with that really weird symbol on it. That could have been that World War I German thing at the beginning of the series, and then, you know, they luckily they changed it. That's called a Corridite battle harness, and the Corridite is, is a type of metal that somehow multiplies He-Man's strength by 10, and it does actually provide him with some form of shielding. It's never really been explained, but whenever he's had to tank strong energy blasts or a hit or punch or what have you, he's been able to do it. That's not just his durability. That's also that really weird Chippendale-looking Cordite vest he's wearing. He's also got bolas that he can use to, like, ensnare super-powered opponents, giants, monsters, dragons, Skeletor. And he hides this in his belt, which is really small. He just, like, pulls it out. Again, the magic of the 80s, Ray. It's a wonderful thing. On top of that, just like Kratos has that big hook with the chains and what have you, well, He-Man has the rated G version. It's a grappling hook, and it's mostly used just for hooking around someone, dragging them, and incapacitating him. Evidently, it is super strong, just like the bolas are, made out of whatever possibly the sword of power is that he has, but they're super, super strong objects. Now, let's get to the sword of power. It's pretty much indestructible. indestructible. It can cut through. And this is listed on the He-Man official Mattel wiki, so you know it's a real thing. You got Harvard, you got Oxford, and then you have the Mattel wiki, you can't go wrong with this. So his power sword is virtually indestructible. It's able to cut through any substance. It's entirely impervious to melting at high temperatures and somehow it could also bend without breaking. I don't really sure why that was put in there, but it's a thing. It's capable of deflecting magical blasts of energy and also high-powered of scientific-based energy. Uh, he uses it like a shield. He can also on occasion fire energy blasts through it. That's a pretty cool thing. He's also got a, an energy restraint like it's a blast of energy that forms into like this yellow energy rope like wonder woman's magic lasso when it glows and it can wrap around people and, and ensnare them it's kind of a cool thing and most importantly and this is just the coolest thing ever he can throw his sword like a boomerang because who doesn't want that how important is that in a fight why cut someone with the sword ray when you can hit him with a boomerang sword thing whatever but his biggest weapon of all race to canis it's his intelligence, and this is so vastly underplayed. Now, officially speaking, He-Man is a genius. Not just a genius, he is a super genius, which is often ignored, always downplayed. No one talks about how smart he is. So I get it. If you look like you know someone like He-Man or like me, you say to yourself, hey, cool, big, strong-looking guy. Don't talk too fast. Make sure you, know, you don't use big words. Make sure he understands what you're saying. Feed him some food. I get it, but I'm actually, just like He-Man, very smart on the inside. That's a mistake everyone makes about me. And I mean He-Man, by the way. So He-Man is a genius. He's actually a master of physics and fighting tactics and strategies. So, look, Ray, we were talking about this before. There's an episode of He-Man from the 80s where he's, there's these creatures that have a, uh, a mine that's by the sea that, that mines that uh, Corridite kind of stuff we were talking about. And Skeletor does something so that the water fills the mine and all these poor creatures can't get to it anymore. So what does He-Man do? He's like, hey, let me think about this for a second. I could push the water out. I could blow it away with my super breath. I could run in a tornado. No, I got this. I'm going to fly into space and push the moon out of orbit because in such a way where it affects the tides in that area. So he does that. The water goes down. The creatures reinforce the mine. He-Man goes back up into space, 
and pushes the planet back into orbit. Now, a lot of people say that's just 1980s cartoon magic. I disagree, Ray Sicanus. I actually believe this is his understanding of physics. He's got the Stephen Hawking thing going on, which is really cool. Now, the real biggest display of his intelligence, Ray, is his fighting record. I'm going to ask you a question. How many fights did he lose in the 1980s? Man, I assume the it, it, it numbers in the thousands. That's right, Ray. He has thousands upon thousands of victories. He is batting a thousand. He has never lost in the 1980s. He may have been caught for a second, but he got out. He may have been in a trap, but he always found his way. He is undefeated. Why, Ray? Some people say it was the writing. I disagree. It's because of his raw intelligence. And by the way, again, according to the Mattel wiki, it says that he is a master of tactics and strategy, and he would rather stay away from fighting someone straight on, getting into a physical confrontation if he can avoid it. But he has been known to do a really cool judo throw on people. He has punched rock-like creatures that are you know, very huge and destroyed them. He's tripped people. He even did a really cool, almost like a Muay Thai foot jab, you know, Muay Thai kickboxing foot jab to Skeletor. This is someone who can fight, but he chooses not to take on someone directly if he doesn't have to. That's why he's undefeated in the 1980s. Put all of that together, and you'll understand a little bit of the greatness of He-Man. That's my point number two. You know, you talk about some of the things uh, with the 80s cartoons. I mean, I've seen him, like, not win fights before. I've seen him get fall into pits before. And if your argument is, well, by the end of the episode, he was fine again, then yes, I would say that that's just how 80s heroes in cartoons worked. But it's we're not going to sit here and say he won every single encounter he ever had on the show because that would just simply not be true. Heck, let's talk about crossovers briefly because in the rebooted Masters of the Universe, he didn't even finish out alive the first episode of the reboot he gets killed in the first episode of the reboot so obviously it can happen and obviously it did happen i would argue the intelligence thing doesn't work for me with the moon because once he's pushed the moon out of orbit yes he might have changed the tide in that one area but he's also created hurricanes and typhoons on all other parts of eternia there are countless millions of people on the other side of the planet he man does not care about or is not aware of the overarching things that happen when you push the moon into a different orbit you know here's the Look, thing we didn't see any of that in that episode it looked like attorney was fine oh, again he understood exactly what he was doing out of sight out of mind i suppose we just turn a blind eye to the suffering on the other side of the planet is that what we're doing now james gavsey i don't think so he did not think it through he caused for this this small group of miners he saved the day but for people on the other side of eternia he created armageddon okay unacceptable uh, but let's also talk really really quick here because the blast i mentioned earlier if it can destroy god armor it can destroy that armor that he-man has on top of it you didn't mention any deep defensive properties to it so if we're destroying stuff that Zeus is wearing that's made by the gods, if you destroy that, you said to yourself, it enhances He-Man's strength. So if we can give an energy blast of that, taking it off of the battlefield, if we can remove that, He-Man's going to get powered down, which is going to give Kratos a big advantage. I'll say real quick, He-Man didn't actually die in the first episode. It was Prince Adam. But more on that later in the in the reboot. And secondly... Oh, you're uh, right. Totally different people. Totally different people, but say, they are actually. And secondly, again... He-Man would, would have learned, would have known if something was happening on, on Eternia, either through the science, you know, they were monitoring the planet, or from the sorceress in Castle Grayskull who would say, He-Man, stop what uh, you're doing. This is ridiculous. Minute. You're killing people. My whole in point the is... In the reboot, James, when he died and went to this afterlife, he knew nothing about what was happening to Eternia. So let's just face it. He'll turn a blind eye when he wants to. Again, it wasn't... I'll explain all of this. Don't worry, my third point. It I'm wasn't sure He-Man died. Now, <laughs> I can't believe we're two grown men talking 
about this the way we are. I got to tell you, life is good. Life is great. Okay, L, we're, we're now at the turning point. You've heard two points from Ray. You've heard two points from me. This is where you kind of tell us who you think is ahead in this fight and what the other side has to do to pull out the win. Okay, so here's what I've got so far. There's a lot of similar points, actually, because I have a lot of notes here. We've talked a lot about magic, and we have He-Man, who has a tolerance against magic. And Kratos, obviously, also seems to be very versed in the worlds of magic, which, you know, for superheroes, that's what we want, for hero strength. My question is... And I actually, I have to say, Ray is coming at you pretty hard here. And I, I, had no, I actually was very impressed with a lot of what He-Man was doing. And to Ray's point, then I wondered, I was like, oh, right. So if, again, deep thinker, if things are being pushed out of orbit, is there some kind of side effect to this that is potentially not being covered in the episode, but is actually happening in that world? So that's kind of swaying me, I have to say, that Ray's, he's, he's coming at you with some fairly, um, he's got like a large grasp on, it sounds like he thinks He-Man's a bit of a narcissist, to be honest. Like he's, he's coming at you with this, he doesn't care, he's all about himself, which I'm not sure that that's true. There's a lot of hair burning happening for He-Man, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, and 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 honestly, uh, I'm actually pretty interested. So, so he has never been killed. Is that what you said, or just he's never been killed? He-Man has never been killed. Okay. In the '80s iteration, but obviously crossovers do carry some weight. And in the newer version, he has been. That wasn't He-Man who died. Don't worry more on that. In point number three, Kratos has been killed three times. Correct. That is correct. But also death means nothing because he can go through Hades so he can sort of cheat death. He can. I'll talk about that in my point number three as well. That's right. He can. Now, here's the thing with the who would win rule, and this is something we, it's kind of like a side rule. The, uh, the objective is to be able to incapacitate your opponent in such a way where you can wait there for two minutes with them incapacitated and they can't do anything and safely walk away after two minutes. That's considered a win. When he came back from Hades, correct me if I'm wrong, Ray. That was actually a process that he had to go through. Didn't what didn't wasn't yeah, it, it, it happened in the underworld, so we don't I don't remember off the top of my head how much time had actually elapsed, but I would say that if He Man, who I would point out has never killed anyone on the show, by the way, if he could kill Kratos, which he wouldn't do, then yes, maybe he would win the battle that way, except he's never done that. So this is important that He Man has not actually got any uh named kills. True. If you think of it this way, remember, it's not a death match. It's who could win. You could kill them. That's one option. You could incapacitate them, remove them. It's a lot of different options to get a win. But you're right. He-Man has not, as far as we know, has not actually killed anybody. Except for those four million people on the other side of Eternia during that tsunami he created when he moved the moon. Listen, those mining jobs were important, Ray. That's a whole industry. I mean, that was, you know, that's the, the thing. whole economy. It's whole economy. You guys are you guys are both presenting some strong points here, I have to say. Right now, who is in the lead and what does the other side have to do to pull out a win? Um, I would say so far, guys, guys, guys. We don't make it easy. No, because I feel like you're both making some pretty strong points and a lot of your points are in the same. I will say that I do, I did like, or I did feel that the fact that Kratos can attack the soul Versus just being able to attack physically, to me, that feels like a, that's a bit of a lead in terms of who would win. Because that's like a fairly strong power. 
versus He-Man, who, although you've gave me a list of very, very uh, specific weapons, can he attack someone's soul? Mm -mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, he's got a few different attacks, but I will say that soul attack is actually pretty impressive. Luckily, I'll present something that He-Man can do that'll bypass that. But, Ray, I got to tell you, you are coming at this, just like Elle's saying, you're coming at this with a lot of fire. Look, I am impressed. I, wa- I want to set He-Man's hair on fire today. I've made no bones about it. I've been pretty clear about my intentions. Kratos was done wrong, was done dirty last time, and I want to get him back where he needs to be on top. I'm impressed with your passion and fire. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. you should see his collection of action figures. It's, it's not a... Uh, <laughs> he's on a government list is what I'm saying. All right, Ray. Ray Sicanus. You're in the lead. I love it. This is actually where I prefer to be in a match. Uh, let's see what you've got. Do you have a knockout shot or will you fall short? Let's find out. Hit us with your point number three. Point number three for Kratos. Let's talk about some of the gods he has killed. Look, again, He-Man is not a god. He-Man is just a man. Kratos is a demigod with demigod powers who went on to murder the Greek pantheon. What exactly does that look like? Well, first off, in that previous example, he went down to Hades and he fought the character of Hades himself, literally, you know, a god of death, if you will. And he was able to, and I don't know exactly how this works, but Hades is like, I'm Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street world. I control everything that happens. I control everything. And Kratos says, you don't control me. And he was able to take his blades and he was able to hit Hades with them and Hades is like you can't hurt me physically in my own realm he goes I don't need to to what I said earlier he ripped the soul out of Hades and beat it to death with his bare hands he was able to rip the soul out of somebody using his blades and beat it to death thus winning the fight and then ascending out of Hades itself he fights gigantic creatures look He-Man's great but he fights people like Beastman Merman what is it uh, uh, Triclops Stinkor, these people are roughly man-sized. Don't you dare make fun of Stinkor. I love me some Stinkor, but Skeletor's a great wizard, sure, but these are all generally equal-sized characters to He-Man. Kratos fights people like the Atlas Titan, who are so big, he is like a grain of rice, (laughs) <laughs> to their entire body. They are taking their, their heads are like in space. These things are gigantic and he's able to uh, uh, kill them. He's able to bring them down with the Atlas Titan. He was actually able to attach chains to the Titan of Atlas and then attach those chains to the underworld, thus incapacitating him, allowing him to win this fight and walk away. Heck, he beat Ares by opening Pandora's box, which allowed him to grow to the size of one of these creatures so he could fight Ares one-on-one killed Ares, the god of war, and then later became the actual god of war himself, which means he ascended from demigod to god. So as powerful as he is naturally, he's even more powerful at this heights. He killed Thanatos, who is the god of death. (laughs) You're talking about can't die. When you kill the god of death, who's coming for you at the end of the day? One wonderful example is he fought Hercules. Hercules is a very similar character to He-Man. Human, uh, a demigod kind of character, very, very powerful. In fact, Hercules in this game flipped, grabbed a piece of rock and flipped over the entire arena they were fighting in to show you a He-Man level of strength. Well, Kratos beat him senseless, beat him into rocks, beat him until he, he was succumbed. He was able to beat Hercules with pure strength because he's that 
strong. A few other great ones to mention. The Colossus of Rhodes. Again, gigantic. We all know what that statue is. Well, the gods, because they're jerks, sucked power out of Kratos, putting that power into the Colossus of Rhodes, bringing it to life to attack Kratos. The thing tried to step on Kratos, and again, he was underneath his shoe. That's how big the Colossus is, and Kratos was under, was depowered at that time. Kratos said, no, you don't, threw the shoe back up, threw the foot back up, and flipped over the Colossus of Rhodes with his strength. He-Man's doing some good stuff outside of combat, but Kratos is bringing it in actual battles to gigantically powerful creatures, and he's defeating them one after another after another. He ended up defeating the Colossus of Rhodes. Uh, Last couple here. He defeated Kronos, another gigantic character, Zeus's own father, who is, again, so big, he just fought on battlefields that were like the wrist of Kronos. He's fighting little minions and creatures on his wrist as he works his way up the body, eventually, I believe, ripping off like fingernails or something. Uh, it, these are the things he does. He's, he's ridiculous. And the final one, he killed Zeus himself. Zeus is the god of all gods. All the other gods tried to stop Kratos from doing it because they all believed if you kill Zeus, all the other gods die. And Kratos thought to himself, where's the problem here? So even though Zeus was his father, Zeus had betrayed him over and over again. He'd had enough of it. And in finally, one of the big climaxes of the God of War series, he murders his father, Zeus, finally, thus ending the Greek pantheon of gods. And I look, look, He-Man's powerful. Again, most powerful man in the universe. But when you defeat the head of the gods, it's just another level. And that's my point number three. Okay, I love this point. So... Would you say Kratos is one of the most powerful beings, if not the most powerful being on Earth at the time that he's roaming the Earth? It's hard to argue against it, given what he's done. Got it. So let's just say he's at the top of the pecking order for the planet Earth that he's on at the time. Okay, great. Agreed. All good. Now, I do remember reading something about him that he actually sold his soul to Ares or made a deal with Ares. He doesn't, does he have his soul back? But what was the, what oh, was yeah. the whole situation Once- with his soul? It's a whole story thing, but once he, he he sold his soul, he fought on on Ares' behalf for 10 years and then finally decided enough is enough. Ares actually betrayed me to make me kill my own family when I didn't realize it. Bad move. And so when he killed Ares, that was the way he was able to break that oath and go off on his own and become a, you know, a god-killing demigod of Sparta. Right, but wasn't he like pleading for Ares' help because he was about to get killed by some barbarian? I'm not saying he was in God mode. Yeah, at the very at the very beginning of his journey when he thought he was immortal, yes. Okay, got it. And would you say that Kratos suffers from a slight, you know, uh, anger problem or has some anger issues and some temper issues? He is known as, a, as an angry character. He's a guy who fights angry. I mean, again, these people have made him murder most of his own family through treachery. He needs to get his payback. So has he been manipulated due to his anger? Um, He has been manipulated to attack people that he would not have otherwise attacked, and he has killed them all. Got it. And then he tends to kill the people who manipulated him, too, just for good measure. Uh, You know, why not? Make it a thing. So he he has been manipulated into a position where people were able to take advantage of his anger or emotional well-being or where he was his state at that moment. Is that correct? This is what this is the, the realm the gods play in. Got it. Okay. This is all fantastic. I love your point number three. Let me kind of now kind of switch things around with my point number three. Look, I could talk about He-Man's big wins. In the 80s, one of the most masterful villains of all time, of course, during that time period was Skeletor, Master Wizard, Super Strong, what have you. He's got a ton of wins over Skeletor. Let's see, he fought and beat the Snake God of Eternia, a character, 
you know, a snake god named Hiss, because that's imaginative. Uh, and this Hiss god, snake god of Eternia, was more powerful than Skeletor. And that was an actual god of Eternia. And let's see, he's beaten this character named Hordak. Now, Hordak is from Shira, but what happened was, in, according to the lore, Skeletor was a general of sorts to Hordak, and Hordak arguably was more powerful than Skeletor. He-Man's got to win over him. To make things even more complicated, Hordak reports to this creature called Hordak Prime, who's even way more powerful. He-Man, you know, wish you, you know, beat him as well. But he's beaten god-sized, you know, huge monsters, Godzilla-sized monsters, uh, huge godlike beings like a hiss again, super-powered beings of Eternia, wizards, you know, dragons. You name it, he's taking it on. So let's kind of differentiate this. When you break it down, there's four main reasons why He-Man wins this fight. Now, of course, just like Kratos was summoning, He-Man can uh, summon some creature as well. I'm talking about Battle Cat. Now, if you remember the 80s, He-Man always had this really cool-looking green uh, tiger with him, Cringer, who was kind of really scared all the time. So with his sword, he could actually transform Cringer, by the way, who is half tiger, half dragon, because that's pretty awesome. And he would transform into this massive, huge, liger-looking thing who was crazy powerful, had armor on him that was super durable. Battlecat had super strength in the League of He-Man, which was crazy. It had super speed, super durable, has the armor, and is also super smart, can talk like a human, and can kind of play to He-Man's strengths. They know each other so well, Battlecat will put, them, put himself in positions to kind of, at the very least, be a serious physical threat to Kratos, or at the least be a distraction so that He-Man can get the drop on him. Second reason, the power of Grayskull. I got to disagree with you, Ray. The power of Grayskull is something that He-Man always has access to. That's thanks to his sword. His sword is a direct conduit. He-Man can access that power of Grayskull with his sword on anywhere he is within Eternia. And because Eternia is like kind of like the center of the universe and Grayskull is like the magical center of the universe, he can access it wherever he is in the universe, in the He-Man world anyway, he can access the power of Grayskull and do what he needs to do. It. If he needs to receive a power boost, he can get it. You talked about it. If he needs to, you know, throw, you know, open a dimensional portal, he can do that with the sword. Lots of great stuff he can do. Let's see. He can also call down a lightning storm. I found that out from the Mattel wiki, which was awesome. And that lightning storm is actually big enough to destroy a city. And let's see. Again, Castle Grayskull contains the power of the gods within He-Man's universe, not just Eternia itself. Number three, he can open interdimensional portals. We talked about battlefield removal. Again, this is something he's done. He helped to defeat Hordak by pushing him through a portal. This is a character who's weaponized the art of shoving and pushing. Something you said uh, Ryu from Street Fighter could do a while back. He-Man takes it to a whole new level. He could definitely shove Kratos through this interdimensional portal and at least wait at least two minutes before he can crawl his way out of it. But there's one more big reason why He-Man's going to win. It's his durability and his be able to plan for all this. Look, we talked about the first episode of Masters of the Universe, where I'm not going to say too much. I don't want to give away too many spoilers in case you haven't seen this, but please go and see it. At the end of the episode... There's a huge threat to Eternia. Skeletor has popped this, this huge like sphere bubble thing that contains the magic and power of the universe. And if this is not somehow sapped out or dealt with, the entire universe gets destroyed. So He-Man says, got an idea. I'm going to use my super intelligence. I can use my sword as a reverse conduit, drain that power into my sword and kind of save the universe. So what does he do? He does it. He takes in all of the power from the universe and helps, you know, saves the day. And that's what reverts him back to Adam. And as Adam, Prince Adam, that's who gets destroyed. Look, we just talked about this. Kratos on a planetary level with planetary gods. This being is amazing. He can take out gods. He's now the top of the food chain for gods for the planet Earth in the Pantheon here. 
What did it take to even really start to harm He-Man? It was the power of the universe. It's a lot more than what Kratos can deliver. And remember, that's not including He-Man's ability to open up a dimensional portal, put him out. Remember, He-Man's a thinker. He'll come up with a strategy. He'll figure out how to position Kratos wherever he is using Battle Cat and shove him through it or deal with him in another way. Maybe use his chains, whatever. But he'll figure out a way to do it because Kratos simply doesn't have the power of the universe to take him out. Put all that together and you see that Kratos is insane at the top of his league. Unfortunately, He-Man is just in a higher league altogether. That's my point number three. I got so much to refute on this. You are taking so many wild swings right now, and none of them should be landing. Look, when you talk about, first off, Battle Cat, Battle Cat is a separate entity from He-Man, and you said it yourself, he's an intelligent creature, and and he's not just like, he's he's not like Serpentor's chariot. He's not like a, a, a cowboy's horse, if you will. This is a thinking, strong character, so no outside interference means what to you, James Gavsey? It You're means- trying to bring outside interference to the table with an identifiable character? Well, wait, so if Kratos can summon these undead whenever he wants, I'm pretty sure that this cat that is always beside He-Man and all he has to do is point his sword at him and now he's there. Pretty sure that counts the same way. But he's not there, James. He can't just will him into being in the battle. The whole point is Kratos with his summoning. And again, I'm not leaning on it too very heavily, but he can make, uh, you know, the undead rise and being a necromancer is a real power. Having the ability to suddenly just decide your friends are there fighting with you is not Is not according to who would win. But I need to move on. You talk about super intelligence. No. You talk about the portal being a a, a big magical thing that he can create. It takes him a while to create this portal. It's not just like a blink of an eye and it happens. And it's also, I believe, magical based. So when Kratos has the eyes of truth, which can kill magical things that are brought into being. So the portal comes up, Kratos uses the eyes of truth, and he can knock it right back down again. I have no concerns about that at all and also look you could say to yourself he has all the magical power and eternity to call it as well i never see him do a second i have the power he does it once he gets the power and sorceress in that moment where he threw grayskull i'll reiterate she told him she gave him extra power again james the cheater outside interference i'm not hearing it interesting all i'm gonna say is that kratos is the top of the food chain for the planet earth for that where he's there and it took the power of the universe to slow down He-Man, kind of some different links here. Now, with all this being said, L, it's now up to you. You've heard three points from me. You've heard three points from a very passionate race to Canis. This is where you have to bring the magic. This is where you have to take us through a process and tell us who would win, in your opinion, between He-Man and Kratos. Well, first of all, I just want to see that you both presented incredibly cohesive and powerfully strong points, and it's you've made this hard, I think, like, for He-Man, I hear what you're saying. He has the power of the universe, but he is a man. And I feel like I'm being swayed. I think Ray has so many incredibly powerful points about Kratos. I mean, first of all, being a necromancer is a real power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, do, I mean, the fact that he fought Hades and won and ripped Death's soul, then ascended, to me... You're talking about He-Man being the, like having universal forces. To me, that is the, the highest spiritual power you can have is to ascend from the depths of hell and come back. And also he basically ripped death. And then, you know, he killed, was it Thanatos? Thanatos, the god of death. Than- he killed Thanatos, the god of death. He 
killed Zeus. And I think basically by ending the Greek pantheon of gods, he's otherworldly. So he's not only a man, he is also a spiritual and godlike power. So I feel like while your point being that He-Man fought the power of the universe, Kratos is the power of the universe, in my opinion. Wow, okay, this is interesting. So, the official decision, in your opinion, the winner between Kratos and He-Man is? Based on everything I've heard, Kratos is the winner. Thank you so much! That is... That is wow. that is redemption. That wow. is the ultimate definition of a redemption match. L, I need to ask you a question. How many pages of notes did you end up with? Uh, this is this is iconic at this point. Seven. Seven. This pages may be a new record. So this may be a new record. This is this is yeah. This is the new gold standard for which all other judges will now be judged themselves. Seven pages of notes is impressive. And I will say that I have a very strong. I'm swayed by the spiritual and I'm swayed by, you know, the, the, the whole pantheon of gods thing to me is like, it's, it's otherworldly. And, and while I do, like I said, I feel like He-Man, I, I would love him in my corner. I would not want to fight Kratos because he has the power to rip my soul. Uh, I'm kind of partial to my soul. So. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I, and I totally, and I totally forgot to mention that when he killed Zeus, Zeus's soul tried to leave his body to take refuge somewhere else, and Kratos just grabbed the soul and said, "No, you don't." Brought it back in, and then that's how we ended up bringing down Zeus for good. Totally forgot to mention it, but you were already vibing. You know, I got to yeah. tell you, it feels like whenever I debate Ray, a little bit of my soul disappears too. So I get it. I, mean, I see fair. what you're saying. That's fair. I see what you're saying. You know, it's interesting. I will say that, uh, L, your, your judgment's brilliant. I do like that because the one thing that Ray brought to the table, which I thought was a great thing, is talking about when you take out, you know, Hades, when you take out like a dimensional being that rules over a dimension, you're right. That, that dimension is its own universe. And Kratos has done that a number of times. I will say, however, put Kratos into the 1980s He-Man cartoon and he's not going to come out ahead. Put He-Man into the Kratos video game. Probably not going to work out that well for He-Man. I'm actually okay with this decision. You know, it, it's funny to me that you say that because if we put Kratos in the 80s, if we put Kratos in the 80s <laughs> Masters of the Universe cartoon, I think it just becomes Fist of the North Star. That's fair. That's I think fair. it just does. And then it becomes a very different show. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's not as great as Star Wars, L. But you know what? It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's not bad. All right, L, I got to tell you, this was absolutely fantastic. I'm not a fan of losing. I'm really not a fan of losing. But when I lose in a way that makes sense, when it's laid out the way you did, Plus, the power of Grayskull, which is really, I mean, the seven pages of notes you've made, that you can't go against that. I think as a judge, you may have set a new standard for us. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, like I said, I have a, I have a very, I have a passion for the underworld and the overworld and the spiritual world. So this was actually an extremely, it was riveting and I, it was hard to, it was hard to judge this. You both made incredibly strong points. And I, I, I will say at the beginning I was I was going for He Man, but Ray just brought it home. It was the it was the hair on fire thing, right? You just that kind of yeah, I get it. I get it. It's, yeah, I think so. I think like just basically that, you know, what was it you said they're pretty darn big? <laughs> <laughs> Everything was pretty darn big, so that's compelling. That's compelling talk right there. You that's can't some, beat that's that. some Detroit right there. The Detroit descriptions. All right, L, please come back to who would win. As uh, my grandfather used to say, you need someone who's going to classy up the joint. 
And I believe you have done that <laughs> for the Who Would Win show like no one has done before. You are absolutely fantastic. Ray is happy. And I'm I'm not angry. I'm actually okay with this decision. It's a win-win for everybody. I'll tell everyone where they can find you online and enjoy all of the work that you do. So you can find me on Twitter as L Newlands. I'm on Instagram as L Newlands Graham. I am also on TikTok. I make funny, I do a lot of uh, Apex related content. If you're, if they're a fan, if anyone's watching and they're a Horizon main or a fan of Horizon, then you're going to know that I already post a lot of Horizon content because, well, we've established that I'm her number one fan. Very cool. Look, after this battle, I'll say you might be the number one fan, but coming into this, I'm now the number two fan. I guarantee it. Yay. (laughs) That's fair. All right. Race to Canis. Congratulations. This was a, uh, actually you do deserve this win. You came into this one with some fire, with some passion. You know, I think you were... Not done wrong, but the last fight we had with Kratos was against Dark Dark Phoenix, Phoenix. which was maybe a little bit of a mismatch, but you didn't do badly in that fight either, I gotta tell you. And this time, you got redemption for Kratos. Congratulations. Tell the fans how you feel right now. Well, look, I've spent the last two plus years, yes, I am that person. I've been going over that match in my mind over and over again, thinking about what I could have done different, what different points I could have made to the table, where the matchup fell away from me in that particular battle. It was it was rough. Look, anytime you're going up against Dark Phoenix, who can rearrange reality, you're in for it. And Kratos, unfortunately, uh, fell uh, slightly under my expectation for the result of that battle. But as soon as we had a chance to put He-Man with the new Masters of the Universe, I've been keeping Kratos in my back pocket, as you know. And I've been wanting to bring him back. He seemed perfect for this matchup. And I've had two years of planning this matchup. I would say maybe that's the mismatch. I've been thinking about Kratos versus a He-Man type character for two years and you have for just but less than a week that's fair that's fair i mean this was personal for you i remember in that production meeting when someone said hey what about uh we're not sure who do you think we should go up against he-man you said how about kratos everyone's like that could work you're like too late you said it and you ran out of the room in classic i did my move james i ran from the room as soon as i got what i want that's how you work a board i love it that's a stick and move i'm very familiar with that in boxing i love it all right ray congratulations it's two years to make it. You deserve this win. I'm going to, you know, you deserve this win. Yeah. Well done. Let's all celebrate it together at Almighty Ray on Twitter. Hashtag Ray is right. Hashtag Kratos Redemption. You seem happy. All right. Now, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavs. You remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever else you go for your videos and for your podcasts. And on behalf of myself, Ray Stacanus, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for listening and watching another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. when Optimus Prime died. Or the days when every series had a ham-fisted anti-drug episode. Or when you wrote fan fiction about how the Animaniacs were so hot in that water tower so they took off all their clothes and they started... No! No, different podcast. This one is Knowing is Half the Podcast, a show devoted to the best and worst animated memories of your childhood. Every week we recap a cartoon from the past to see if they're as good as you remember. They're not. What are you talking about? They're great! You're both wrong. None of them get good until they're in a water tower. No! No. And Knowing is Half the Podcast.